Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. Today, we're doing the first of our dispatches from the New York Film Festival. And so I'm joined by... Andy Grimuga. Emilio Diaz. And we also are rejoined by uh, one of our favorite guests, writer Fran Hoffner. Hello! Back so soon. Thank you Yay. for coming back. We're so glad of to course. have you. I love the festival. Yeah. Yeah. Great it's festival. A f- right. I mean, it's a festive time. And yeah, we... Really. And yeah, and, and yeah, we need to talk here. about these movies. Yeah, unfortunately, Mr. Bean is not in any of these movies. <laughs> oh my god, but he might be in season five of Peaky Blinders. Which That's is true. Crazy <laughs> for me, one of the six people who watches that show. <laughs> yeah, it is. When a British show randomly gets like ten seasons or however many seasons Peaky Blinders has, I'm always like, oh. That's one of the ones you wanted to go for a long time? That's interesting. <laughs> well, and just to say, uh, we don't, we can't get derailed on this, sure. but if you have watched, if you don't, if you've seen none of Peaky Blinders, this doesn't make any sense. Right. If you have been watching Peaky Blinders, Mr. Bean as Hitler, it makes perfect sense. Like, that <laughs> is like, you're like, oh, of course. Like, I don't have to think twice about that because I think part of the joy of that show is like the escalating ridiculousness of its villain casting. Mm. sure the the peaky blinders are gonna like take on hitler this year is like what it's gonna be i i am trying to figure out if they are gonna go for some kind of inglorious bastards peaky Uh blinders versus hitler i i genuinely don't know all right but i'm hopeful yeah all right so i think we're gonna start off you know what i said we were gonna start off with one thing and i'm realizing maybe it makes the most sense to start off by just talking about uh, what this virtual festival experience is like, uh, sure. since I know we have all been to, uh, festivals in person, but I think this is for all of us, the first, like, big major film festival that we've been to online. Me and Andy did AFI Docs back in June, and I did a few things at the Maryland Film Festival, but this is certainly the first time that, uh, I guess it's the first time at any festival that we're spending, like, three weeks on it. That's not even normal for New York. They, like, added an extra week this year. But, yeah, does anyone have any thoughts on how this has been so far? I mean, I can start. I'll say it's been surprisingly effective on my part. Like, we mentioned a little bit on the last episode Fran was on that some of us have been having a tough time watching movies under quarantine and, like, trying to stay attentive to movies and like give it our full give it a full go but the way that certain the windows of when you can watch movies and the fact that i had to spend money on these movies so if i don't watch them in the window i will have wasted money has certainly made it so that i sit down and focus and enjoy a movie in like with like the most attention I've paid to a movie since before quarantine. It's like the nearest to a theater experience that mm-hmm. I've been since all of this started, which has been good. And I think generally they've worked out pretty well. Uh, Nomadland, which is a movie I'm sure we'll talk about more later. It like glitched up on me a lot and I had a tough time using the website to watch it. And then I like wrote them an email and like, and then they were like, within 10 minutes, they were like, sure, here, we'll fix the problem for you. So even like the customer support end of it, which I don't, I'm sure that's not what you're talking about generally, but it has been helpful. <laughs> yeah. But sure. yeah, I'm having a good time. Also, the programming has been good. I don't yeah. know what thoughts any of y'all have, Fran. Um, oh, I, I like the programming just fine. I sort of love how New York Film Festival feels every year and i think the films this year have not been incredibly like bound to narrative in a way that i think is refreshing and interesting and feels sort of true to the moment i definitely think just sort of technologically speaking the like virtual screening room is great and Mm -hmm. like has basically worked for me with very minor you know glitches but like sort of to be expected from anything 
mm-hmm. online. I'm very stressed out by the viewing windows, but I think mm-hmm. that's because, you know, like I do film festival coverage on top of like uh, my regular sort of work schedule. So in past years, what I was able to see was like truly just dependent on my like physical availability. And mm-hmm. now that I am kind of always physically available to be at my computer, I think I feel a much greater pressure to be watching everything mm-hmm. when it is simply not possible for me to do so. So the balancing act of that or just sort of unlearning the guilt of what I have not been able to see is, you know, a learning curve. But I think even in my best years, I'm only seeing about like at most 65% of the main slate. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I can see half and if I can, you know, slide some like currents or revivals in there, that's also really good. But like, I feel bad that I missed out on City Hall this week. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's, I'm also just like, should something with a longer runtime possibly have a longer viewing window? Right. I don't know. That is interesting. Um, but it's, it's so far so good and it's certainly strange, but I'm very happy to be back and I'm happy to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can say, like, I, I basically agree with Amelia. I think that viewing windows have been helpful more than they've been not for me. I, like, went through and set up a specific schedule for, like, this is what I'm going to watch on this day before the festival started, and I've mostly been able to keep to that. Uh, so that's been, that, that has made it feel a little more like a regular festival, even if I don't have specific time slots that I have to watch things in. Yeah. With the exception of, uh, Lover's Rock and On the Rocks and, uh, Nomadland. Right. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I did, I did do the one TIFF screening that was, like, available in the U.S., uh, of Wolfwalkers, so like having do done that and this, they're very similar. The one thing I will say is the TIFF screenings, they were like you only had a 24 hour window but it, um, so that was like uh, tighter obviously but the, um, they started at 6pm rather than which all these New York ones started at 8pm and I did prefer that like a little bit, just in terms of like, it's, it, you know it, if you have a couple of movies and they all are unlocking on the same day, like you kind of are like, well, I could maybe fit two in today if I, if I had a little more time earlier in the evening. But um, other than that, like, yeah, I have, I've been uh, airplaying them all from my phone to my TV through my Apple TV, um, which has been pretty smooth, um, especially on the movies. Like once I get them going, sometimes like when I like close my, when I turn off my, my phone's screen, it'll stop playing, but then I'll just bring it back up and press the play button on my phone and it'll play again. Uh, having a little more tra- problem with the Q&A videos for some reason, where, like, if I do anything else on my phone when the Q&A video is playing, the video stops playing, but that doesn't happen with the movies for some reason, um, which is just, like, weird tech glitches that are not that important because I shouldn't be on my phone watching these movies anyway. <laughs> right. All right. Well, then, moving on from that, I think if we want to go around and uh, just say... What out of these movies from, like, the first week or so we are most excited for general audiences who are maybe not paying attention to the festival to see? Andy, do you want to start? Uh, I can start. I think the one that I, like, I'm like, oh, I like, I think this will be, like, fun to have spread around a little bit, uh, was actually um, The Human Voice, The Elmodovar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, it's, it's a 30 minute short that stars Tilda Swinton. Uh, it's, uh, an ad- adaptation of a cocteau, like monologue. Uh, and it, mo- it's like a little bit of, it's like a little bit of preamble. And then it is just mostly her talking. Uh, she's on the phone with like an old lover who's, she's breaking things off with. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a 30 minute short. So there's not like. It, it, it really does give you, like, a nice little hit of, like, what it's doing. And then, like, you have a, that fun experience of being like, oh, like, look at all these layers to what's going on here. Uh, and then, it, like, it has, like, a real cool ending. And then, like, it's done. And it's like, oh, wow, that was 30 minutes and that really passed by quickly. Um, so that's one that I'm excited for people to see. You know, it's shorts are often, I think, like, especially, like, 
I, 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 for the Oscars, I do always try to go see like the short, the short slates that they do every year. Uh, it's always something that I like enjoy and usually checking out. Sometimes they are like incredibly dire and like not good, but sometimes you do find something that's like a really charming, uh, like surprise and you're like, hey, like that's like a really cool or, or like it uses like a theater actor who I know and love like in a leading role, which they wouldn't get in like a normal movie. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm excited to have a short that I think is, like, worthy of people getting excited about. Uh, and I know Sony Pictures Classics acquired it, so I assume, I believe Emilio said they will be distributing it uh, directly to Oscar uh, voters, was, uh, was what their distribution <laughs> plans would be. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited for that one to, to get a little more conversation going. Yeah. yeah. You go ahead, Jesse. Sure. Uh, that is of, uh, with the exception of maybe something in Currents, which we're going to talk about on its own episode, that is probably my favorite thing that I've seen so far as well. Uh, uh, I, I really like the way it kind of plays with uh, being a stage adaptation certainly doesn't it does the furthest thing possible from shying away with it it is very obviously made on a sound stage the like uh the interior of the sound stage is used to really cool effect uh tilda swinton is of course really excellent in it her dog in it is also quite fun uh and yeah that is a movie that like it is weird to see a major distributor pick up a short even it's also weird to see like uh, a super like major world filmmaker make like a standalone short usually when that happens it's like part of an anthology or something yeah i mean it's good i like that i like basically every almodovar i've ever watched i enjoy his style a ton um I guess I was sort of worried coming into it because it's like, I guess there is some excitement around, well, he's finally working in English and he's working with like an actor in the English language, which I guess initially I was sort of swept up on. And then I was like, but you know what? He's very good at Spanish and I like it when he does that. But I think Tilda, the way, I think Tilda's incredible in it. Like, mm-hmm. I think a big take i have on the festival there's been a lot of good performances and a lot of like smaller human basing that i've enjoyed watching and this one and the short even though it exists like on very big terms it's certainly not a very subtle thing i enjoyed its use of color its use of space tilda's performance um certainly uh almodovar working the same like themes he usually works around like people at the twilight of their lives filled with regret the sort of like big moment that it's like he always makes these movies that are like in guilt so they're like post whatever like big event happened and like sometimes he'll make a movie that goes back to that event like broken embraces which is a movie that we've talked about here which is a movie that mostly exists in a period of guilt um Julieta and Pain and Glory which are his two last movies also exist in that space and I'm certainly I can certainly see what drew him to this material I guess I've never read the play and I don't know how much it differs or not but due to like the sort of structure of it I imagine it's at least semi-faithful uh Fran did you get to watch it I did get to watch it. I I am feeling like a bit of a grump on this one, but not for any good reason. I was just sort of like, yeah, okay, fine <laughs> um, about it. And I and I like um, Almodovar. I like Tilda Swinton. I think it's a cool exper- experiment. Like I think it looks great. It's well acted. It sort of falls in line with like how I think maybe a lot of film is going to be for a little bit which where it is the like this is all we were able to do during this time period and it's kind of experimental and we're just trying stuff out so i'm like if you want to do that that's fine i i sort of have had no attachment to it um and i wonder if it's also because i'm used to seeing shorts and like a 
sort of like Andy said, like a series of shorts or a collection mm-hmm. of shorts. I wonder if just like divorced from context, I have a very difficult time placing it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like, this is fine. I like the font, you know, the sort of like, <laughs> I was trying to remember the like bad 3D animation robot movie that had a sort of mechanical looking it's font. just called robots right is it just called robots it has yeah, like the robots so. font and i was like this I, this should come back um yes. <laughs> especially just as like ai becomes more prevalent why not but um yeah i thought yeah i thought it was fine <laughs> i i've maybe i'll warm to it over time i think this is also the kind of thing that maybe suffers from like seeing on a laptop but right right yeah I, I don't mean to be a grump no, on, no. on, on like, everyone's favorite actress, but, uh, yeah. Human voice, it's beautiful beautiful gowns, to quote one of my friends. <laughs> okay. Uh, fr- so, Fran, what was your favorite thing that you would like people to see? I really cannot wait for people to see Lovers Rock. And I think this, the experience I've had in the last week or so is like coming to terms with the fact that I think I really stand Steve McQueen and mm-hmm. how much I really am sort of intrigued by and always interested in what he's bringing to the table. But Lover's Rock is just not like something I've seen him do before. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's maybe it's like a little over an hour. It's largely non-narrative. Truth be told, I wish it was completely non-narrative, mm-hmm. but I feel like I understand why he felt it had to be. Um, and perhaps because it feels so far from like the current lived experience and that it is just this like big house party. Um, it was just so refreshing and fun and gor- like so gorgeously shot and captures some like really you know, beloved old feelings like everyone sprinting to the dance floor when like a really good song comes on and it just felt like an entirely sort of new modus operandi for McQueen and it made me really excited for the rest of Small Axe. I've seen Mm -hmm. Mangrove, which I like Mm -hmm. slightly less, but I think because I watched it on a laptop and not on the TV, but I was just like, Steve McQueen is so interesting and cool and so thoughtful about his work. And I'm really, I mean, this, I'm sort of like, should I rewatch Shame? That's where I'm at, even. Right. Um, which is, couldn't be farther from Lover's Rock. But mm-hmm. it just felt so different than, like, literally anything I've seen this calendar year and made mm-hmm. me, like, excited about what movies can do when they are interested in, like, operating in joy. I mean, it's by far the favorite, my favorite thing I saw, I've seen so far. It like, it's sort of transporting in a way that I think, even it like, it, there's obviously you could say that during this time, it, it there is a lot of value in a movie being transporting, especially to those feelings of joy you mentioned. But I think during any time, this would be like a particularly exciting movie because of what McQueen brings to it, which is mentioned that he's very thoughtful. I think despite it being vibey, every single shot of it is purposeful. There is like the way he photographs like human touch and human contact and the way that people look at each other and the way that those sorts of things shift over a night and over this party the the like wave of emotions and just like the cascading excitement around like a song being played or like the slow realization of people there is a very exciting moment towards the middle of it that it's like weird to say to not spoil it because it's like it's just sort of a thing that would happen at a dance party and you would sort of expect it from this sort of movie but just the way that that moment like cascades and like lingers and like stays and the way it lives in all of the people it's depicting reactions to it is just the thing that has stuck with me. Like I don't rewatch movies a lot. Like I always feel like this sort of stress about not having to rewatch stuff because there's always like 
more different movies to watch that I should be getting to. And Lover's Rock, even in like the limited four hour window, I basically watched 1.75 times. Like I went I, after it ended, I went back and immediately watched it again because it was so, the sort of thing that I was like begging to live in for a long while. And it just I did like the same thing, by the way, I, <laughs> I, I'm a big rewatcher, but I had a slightly larger window and just like kept rewatching certain parts of it over the course of it. I re- I re- the part I was like trying not to spoil in the middle I watched four times like straight back and then like went on Spotify and listened to the song like ten times straight and it's just like it's the sort of thing where I'm currently upset that I can't just watch it right now instead of doing whatever I'm doing most of the time though I guess it's sort of dangerous to just live in that for an extended period of time. Well, I think also what's exciting about it is that we do know that people are going to be able to see this. Right, um, right. Because it is coming to Amazon at some point later this fall or yeah, winter. Yeah, I know. I think the Small Axe starts airing like the 10th or the 20th and is going to be the five parts are going to be aired weekly. And I think this is closer to the end. So sometime in December. Yeah. Yeah, just knowing that people are also going to get to experience this makes me really happy. I don't know mm-hmm. about you guys, but, like, more than usual, I feel some, like, festival guilt mm. where there's things I know I'm I'm seeing and loving, like Nomadland, which I think is a great movie, but I'm just like, I don't know when, like, regular people are going to be able to see this, and it actually just sort of then bums me out that I have seen it. Right. Yeah, I, I I think I get that guilt, like, even in normal, like, when we go to TIFF normally of just, like, watching totally. a movie and, and then being, like, but I sort of can't talk about this, and it's sort of, like, right. I guess you just, I mean, ha- you just have to, like, live with the movie by yourself, which is, like, that's not how I was This is my experience ready. with First Cow, which is a movie I love, but then, like, God, did yeah. not come to theaters for six months, right. and mm-hmm. I just sort of felt like a jerk for being, like, well, the best movie of next year, like, you'll see it eventually. Um <laughs> And like I think like I love I love film people. I love talking movies mm-hmm. with film people, but I also love talking movies with non-film people. And so mm-hmm. I hate when like we don't all have the same things to talk about. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I think the festival guilt I'm feeling this year a little bit is that I probably it's like this is the sort of thing I get every year also at TIFF where it's just like I probably should have programmed more currents and like watch more shorts and stuff. Like I will watch a couple of stuff from currents. We might talk about one of the things from currents we I watched later today, and I'm gonna watch a couple other stuff. But I do sort of think of like because it's sort of the opposite thing. Because there's stuff like on the rocks where it's just, and like the small axe episodes where it's just like yeah, I'm gonna watch. I can watch those in like a month. Meanwhile, I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch like fauna mm-hmm. ever. So. I think maybe I should have prioritized that. But yeah, I was also like going back to Lover's Rock real quick. I also sort of feel the same way as Fran that like the only issues I have with it are that are like the, the bits of like more solid story that figure into it occasionally and that they just feel sort of outside of the scope of what the movie is mostly operating on. And once again, we'll talk about Nomadland soon, and that is also an issue I have. The only issue I have with Nomadland that it occasionally gets into like more movie ways of storytelling that I, I don't fully like as much as when the movie is operating on its sort of unique vibe. All right. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, do we have stuff to say about Lovers Rock? I guess like yeah, I can. I I was, like, a little bit cooler on it than many people, but I still very much enjoyed it. I think, like, it did read to me as something where I was, like, very clearly, like, this is part of a whole that I think will be enhanced by viewing the whole, by viewing, like, all the other films. And, like, it made me think a lot about, like, how McQueen wouldn't be able to, wouldn't necessarily be able to operate at this, like, minimalist level if he wasn't doing it as part of a series of like four other films or however they're going to brand it and market it. Um, uh, and that like are, are doing on a streaming service. Like it's, it's interesting. Like it's, it's such a unique like model that like, I was really excited to think about like, 
oh boy, I'm gonna I'm so excited to like view this in context. Uh, that um that that maybe uh, took a little bit away from my like joy. I, I, I'll say yeah. if somebody who's watched Mangrove, there's there's basically no I don't think I think you get all 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 out of Lover's Rock that you'll get by just having watched Lover's Rock. I don't know if there will be any enhancing through watching other stuff. I'll say. I'm guessing that as these are being are these are not being released sequentially and how they'll air, there probably mm-hmm. is no continuity. Right. I'm hoping. Right. Yeah, I don't I think I, no, there's I not an overarching story. I want to say that John Boyega is credited as being in two episodes. I would imagine oh. that's just like a cameo in one of the episodes Maybe. other than the one he stars in. Yeah. I mean, I think like yeah, I think the hook is like yeah, it's it's different it's looking at the same community throughout different points in time right right? so it is like truly like an anthology series Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i mean i don't know like i i think like it's interesting for me to think about like well what is what is the what is the larger view gonna be versus like what these like individual the individual feelings that each of these creates and how are they gonna interact in my mind i'm interested to to, to check that out I mean, yeah, it's certainly interesting because, like, McQueen's, like, an art school, like, gallery sort of guy. So he's, mm-hmm. like, has experimented with form before. Is certainly interested in telling this sort of, like, smaller, more piecemeal story. And I think that's more of an extension of that. But who knows? Jesse, you have any Lover's Rock thoughts? Uh, Not really, other than, like, what it's been, what has been said. Just, like, it's great. I mean, I agree with, like the line that's kind of been going around that just like it is a great opening film like i think even when it was announced i remember dennis Lim really highlighting that that like it functions really well to like open up the festival uh but yeah it it's great and they've been using the yeah and then all the uh like the bumpers where it says like film new york film festival or whatever they've been using the the beat from one of the songs haven't they isn't that isn't it from one of the songs in the movie am i making that up there's like a reggae beat that plays on all the bumpers i do like new york film festival. i thought it was from the movie never mind i've not know noticed I'm you, you could be right i'm yeah <laughs> all right well i will maybe talk about a movie that it is entirely possible that like this festival is going to be the peak of the uh, attention that it gets in the United States, which is uh, Christy Puya's Malmkrog, uh, which is a three-hour and 20-minute long film that is, I believe, adapted from a philosophical treatise written in 1899 and is is set around then as just uh mainly the main thrust of it is uh these five people who are all kind of coming from slightly different perspectives uh having various philosophical conversations over the course of a day it's basically split into uh six parts i think and like each part the each part is like a discussion uh and like there there are like a few things that like happen there's like he does a very weird thing right around the midpoint of the film that's kind of like an intrusion on the film that then like goes away maybe uh but yeah it's like i would say like 90 percent of the film is just like these people talking and it's just like i guess the thing is like i don't like this as much as his last film sierra nevada which we talked about months ago when we did we're talking about the 2016 Cannes film festival but like what has very i think that is like very it's they're very similar formally in that he has the camera like it'll it'll be on a static tripod or whatever but then we'll pan to whatever might be like interesting in this conversation to like or even to like different parts of the room or even different rooms altogether where different things are happening 
I think that works a lot better in Sierra Nevada, which is like this family story that's about, uh, it's set at the uh, one year anniversary of the kind of patriarch's death. And there's like a lot more plot wise going on in that. But I just kind of, for whatever reason, find that formal conceit of the, the panning camera that is highlighting whatever is going on in the scene to be so compelling that it got me through uh 200 minutes relatively easily and like i'll I'll say as far as like maybe what doesn't work about it it i think sierra nevada feels like the work like as far as like the screenplay feels like a very interesting intelligent screenplay whereas uh Malmkrog maybe feels like a screenplay that was written by someone who knows a lot of things which is like i am somewhat seduced by that but is not nearly as interesting i watched Malmkrog. it's <laughs> Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Sure. <laughs> no, it's, no I, I really respect the sort of conceit of it. Um, you, you know, weirdly with Malmkrog, I sort of think that it's like the kind of thing I would have been, I would have loved to be like locked in Walter Reed theater mm-hmm. for 200 minutes and really, I think, forced to reckon with it in a more major way. I mean, I did watch this like on the big TV and tried to give myself as close to the experience as possible. But I think, like, at home, the wear and tear of it really sort of got to me. I I mean, I respect what it is. And, like, I think some of the, like, more surprising moments are really, really effective. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really, it's just been, like, a bad excuse for me to say, forget it, Jake, it's mom frog. Um, <laughs> and, you know, to tell my friends, like, when I, when I want to sort of, like, as assuage myself of festival guilt i tell people that's like the kind of stuff i'm watching versus right, like yeah. you know no right. land or like <laughs> stuff that i think will have maybe a little bit more universal appeal but i mean yeah. it's the kind of thing that like i mean like you said jesse like i don't know like to what extent this will have any kind of actual release in the states so right i really am glad to have experienced mom Frog. right like sierra nevada never got u.s distribution and i think that is a maybe even a substantially more accessible film so yeah it doesn't seem terribly likely uh i feel like i had one more thing to say about it and i oh i was just gonna say that i i also watched it on the tv to attempt to uh replicate the uh festival experience and in some ways it in some ways it was one of the uh most uh successful replications of my usual festival experience in that uh i took a nap halfway Mm -hmm. through it uh but (laughs) but less successful is the replication in that i paused it before i took the nap right uh yeah i mean i'll say I have not watched the movie, so my only comment is that I've only been to the Walter Reed Theater once when I went to New York on a short trip, and I felt I went to watch, what movie did I go to watch? It was Ashes Purest White. Oh, yeah, Ashes Purest White, and I fell asleep about 75% of the movie, and then I woke up, and there was a Q&A. Walter Reed is so comfy mm-hmm. it's the comfiest i mean it was like it was just like towards the end of a long trip in new york where i was just like walking everywhere and then i just had a comfortable seat and then i fell asleep and then i woke up and gia Janko was there and then i just walked out because i was like i'm not gonna listen to a q a about a movie i have not watched <laughs> i and, believe the one movie i've seen in the walter reed theater which was not a movie that i think anyone would fall asleep during was uh green room Mm. That's a fun time, and also to Fran's comment about experiencing Malmkrog. Whenever somebody says they experience a movie, my only thought can be like imagining a bad Six Flags T-shirt that is just like I experienced Malmkrog, and all I got was this <laughs> shitty T-shirt. 
they they print a photo of you sitting in the theater like with a thoughtful face on like hmm I think it's like the I watched it with one of my um, grad school peers also who is covering the festival and it is like a funny movie to watch after having gone to grad school because it is a very sort of grad school movie of just like leave the house shut up about this Uh, whereas I think all of us love to be in the house and like talking endlessly so I, I at least found some sort of you know they say they don't make movies about relatable people anymore, but I think I really mm-hmm. related to, like, the most left-leaning one who was prone to fainting. Yes. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Alright. Well, I think maybe the other movie that I have seen half of and then everyone else has seen all of is uh, Night of Kings. Does anyone want to take the lead on that? I can talk. I can start it. Start us off on that one. Uh, it's uh, so Night of Kings. Uh, it is from the Ivory Coast, and I believe Neon bought it, and it is like the Ivory Coast Oscar submission this year. So I guess there is like a higher than usual chance for a movie like this that like more people will see it and like talk about it. Um, it's uh, set in like this men's prison. That, like, it, like, they, at one point, I think the guy is literally, like, the inmates run this prison. Um, and they, hey, um, the, there's, like, this weird code where the guy who, like, the prisoner who's in charge, once he gets, shows any sign of, like, illness or weakness, he has to die. And so that sets into place, like, this ritual that they're doing. And they appoint one of a, a new inmate as, like, a storyteller role. And so he, like, they do this, they do, like, a lot of stuff. It's, like, there's, like, a lot of, like, ceremony involved. Um, And he starts to tell a story. And so then the movie becomes, like, sort of the intertwining narrative of the story that he's telling. And then this, this, like, the story of him in the prison, uh, slowly realizing that what his role as the storytelling, as the storyteller means, and, like, how he navigates that. Um, It, like, that sort of premise hook is always something that I'm excited about. Like, t- like a movie with, like, multiple layers of, like, this guy's telling a story in it, and we're gonna cut to that, and, like, they're gonna, like, intermingle between the two different, like, storylines is, like, something that I'm just kind of in the bag for. Um, they use it to pretty good effect. Like, the story that he tells has, like, a couple of, like, incredible, like, very surprising, like, moments of filmmaking where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting, like, this sort of thing to happen in this movie, and then it's, like, happening, and you're like, wow, that's really cool that that's happening in this movie. Um, I guess the larger, like, the whole I was, like, a little less into as, as, as like, a, as he, as an entire experience, I think, like, it's, it's good, I think it's worth seeing, I don't know if I, like, am gonna be, like, thinking about it all the time from here on out. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's pretty good. And like, there's like a couple of like very cool moments of like filmmaking that are like, that you're like, wow, that's cool that you're doing that in this movie. Yeah. I'm sort of just like meh on it, which I'm surprised about because I think sort of similar to Andy, I thought the like hook of it sounded very interesting and I was sort of gripped by the beginning of it. But then weirdly the hook is my least favorite part of it. I think like, I don't think the story than what's happening in the prison is like ever intertwined enough for me to like care about either side that much. Like what I like about the movie is just them existing and the sort of behaviors and the sort of play acting that exists within the prison, just like how they all react to each other, the interesting personalities of all these prisoners and different and the different people within the in the, within the jail uh Daniel Levant shows up at one point and he just has a bird and it's just like <laughs> doing bird stuff and that's cool but in terms of like investing and like caring about like what is like the main through line and narrative I just like couldn't muster up anything beyond just like oh that's interesting it's it's still I thought it was sort of fine that is my, my sort of take on Night of Kings Fran, I don't yeah, know. I, okay. I think it's a cool movie. Um, I think it also kind of lost me maybe in its second half or like maybe had a hard time keeping me. This, I think the story within the story is just not ever as compelling as what the initial sort of um, premise is. But I just thought it was cool to watch and like yeah. the physicality of the other prisoners as the storytelling is happening is just a cool effect. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I would never be like, don't watch this. I don't, and I don't mm. think it's bad. I was just sort of like, this is cool and interesting. I don't know how much I really like it, but um, it it certainly felt like different in a really exciting way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's sort of my take. Also, that's sort of also my take on. I don't know, like. We might talk about this more in a later episode. I'm not sure, but The Inheritance, which is a movie mm-hmm. where I was like. Yeah, I appreciate everything this is doing. I don't know if I like really like this as a whole, but just as like it both its political message and just like its small moments of humanity and just like the sort of aimless filmmaking of it I found I find interesting in like in a vacuum, but altogether I just it just didn't do that much for me and that's sort of the same thing with Night of Cups. Like I think they're worth watching. They're very cool. There's the sort of thing that you're glad to watch at a film festival just to like break things yeah. up get something different experience something you've never like really seen before like i don't think i've ever seen a movie quite like night of kings especially like what fran mentioned in the physicality but i'd be yeah. lying if i said i was like ecstatic over it um yeah my it did the the the, the stuff of like how all the prisoners work as a mass and like act at, start to act out parts of the story in person uh it reminded me like my ba- my background my, my undergraduate degree is in educational theater so i like spent a lot of time like learning like how to do process drama with like a group of students and stuff like that and like how to collectively tell a story so there's like a lot of that stuff that like echoed for me i was like oh it's just like i'm back in college like except i'm in the middle of a, a horror like a prison that where the the inmates are running the are running the show um uh but yeah i think like yeah that stuff is really fun and exciting and like the 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 the, the ensemble and like there are like several characters who like don't really have any individual story per se but you like see them in the telling of the story and you're like oh that guy's i bet has got a lot going on like all the ensemble really feels like 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 there is a lot of depth there even if you don't necessarily get a lot of like mining into it yeah my thought was um is this what ascat is like that's what that's what <laughs> <laughs> because i think i've only be- ever been poorly described what ascat is so that's what it is in my mind is just a person telling a story and then other people doing bits on top of it and it's like sure that's cool yeah that's it's not the furthest thing uh yeah i i agree that like the the interplay between him telling the story and the prisoners reacting to it is what is most interesting and then anytime it like cuts to the story within the story i'm just like yeah okay uh but yeah it it is struggling to hold my attention a little bit but i probably will finish it always good to finish a movie yes this means i oh this means i've the two people who fell asleep at baccarat with tiff last year so uh, don't trust us. Don't trust. I know this is a weird thing to say during a podcast, but don't trust our opinions about anything. God damn it! <laughs> Trying to build some credibility here, Emilio. You gotta no, no credibility for me. All right. Is that it? Are we gonna talk about any? Or is that all the movies we have programmed to talk about this week? So, because like I've seen plenty of stuff in currents, but we've got separate episodes plan to really focus in on those um yeah the only other main slate thing i've seen is time uh right. documentary uh which i liked uh i that's another that's that is one where i had a little bit of hard time focusing on and i'd like to revisit it um it's very striking filmmaking and i think it's telling a really important story and a lot of people are really responding to that one i was like a little not as enthusiastic but i think i owe it a second look is basically where i came down on it and that one that's another one that'll be on amazon soon right and then like similarly i saw uh on the rocks which is gonna be on apple in like three weeks uh and yeah that's just like it's a fun sofia coppola rashida jones bill murray comedy uh it's basically what you would expect from that like uh, I think it's maybe being labeled as, like, minor Coppola, and I don't know that I entirely agree with that, but I think we'll 
maybe discuss it more once it's come out. I watched The Disciple, which I don't think a lot of people mm. have. Um, and I watched Enola Holmes, which I do believe is main slate. Um, no the disciple is not as interesting as its subject matter but Mm -hmm. for me the subject matter is so interesting that it really carried me through the film Uh um but i'll be curious to know what other people think of that one yeah i think i have a ticket to the disciple and we will probably talk about it on a later episode um yeah and as far as like upcoming programming we are gonna have one of these out uh this monday and then the next two mondays and then somewhere towards the end of the festival uh we will also have both an episode on the features in currents and one on the shorts in currents we have great guests planned for those get excited uh as far as like other movies that are like uh, I think, like, next week, uh, I think we've all already seen Nomadland, but as it's, like, the centerpiece of the festival, we figured we'd put it in the, the middle episode, and then French Exit, uh, will, the closing film will be in our last episode, uh, both of those episodes will also have a Steve McQueen movie, uh, next week. Uh, I think we'll probably be talking about City Hall. Um, what else is coming up in the next week? What have I got? Um, uh, Isabella, probably. Uh, I Carry You With Me, the Heidi Ewing. Yes, I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing I Carry You With Me. I'm seeing The Disciple. I'm uh-huh. seeing In the Mood for Love, the restoration of that. So maybe I'll right. talk about that for a minute. Uh, and then Mangrove, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, what else? Days, Hopper Wells, plenty of stuff. I think one thing I maybe want to mention a little bit, uh, in terms of something that might be a potential highlight that is not as obvious that's playing towards the end of the festival is beginning, uh, and let me look up the name of that director, uh, directed by a first it's the first feature by a georgian director who is named uh dea kulumbe gosh uh and that uh what it was playing it premiered at tiff it was on like the list of stuff that would have played can uh, but then it also was in competition at the San Sebastian Film Festival, where yesterday they had their awards, and it, like, in something that uh, cannot happen at some festivals, because they've got rules about what can win what, it just, like, swept all the awards. It won Best Actress, it won Best Screenplay, it won Best Director, and then it won the Golden Shell, which is their main award, so... Uh, I am very curious about that now. Uh, but yeah, I think that is it for today. Uh, Fran, do you have anything that you want to plug? Yeah, I'll plug Brightwall, Dark Room. I just had an essay go up on there about Some Like It Hot, this lost little film to time. Um, and then I'm gonna have festival coverage for them probably at the end of October once I've seen as much as I can see mm-hmm. um, as per usual which will be great I need to like start compiling all of my scattered pieces of notes about I guess mostly about Malmkrog but hopefully everything else <laughs> too um, but yeah excited to read Malmkrog and other things by Fran Hoffman <laughs> <laughs> I always sort of divide it up by like films i feel like i can group together and then there's always one weird outlier and last year's like well you can't compare first like first cow is first cow and i was like this year mom crog is mom crog sure yeah i did start uh when we were talking with uh last week with some friends uh about tiff i 
I've not seen One Night in Miami yet, but I did start wondering, huh, I wonder how as, like, films set in a room that are about people talking and having kind of a philosophical argument, I do wonder how those will compare. Uh, I would imagine very different movies. Uh, but yeah. So you can follow us on Twitter at Can I Kick It? Can spelled like the festival. Uh, it's the name of our podcast, which you ought to be able to see on your podcast app. Uh, you can follow us on Letterboxd at C I K I Pod. You can follow me on either of those places at JP Glick Weber. Weber has two B's. I. Uh, refuse to rate movies during a festival as I normally would, but I am trying to post at least a half thought on most of what I'm seeing. Uh, so yeah, in terms of uh, getting something in between these episodes, if you're curious, and you know, if you're on Letterboxd and you're more curious about what I think about something, feel free to ask and I will try to put together uh to have thoughts into a full thought perhaps great uh i i'm andy you can find me on online at andy t germ both on twitter letterboxd and other places uh don't ask me about the movies that i'm logging <laughs> don't don't talk to andy it's today's andy thought. no talk to me but don't ask me about the movies no. Okay. All right, Emilio. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Letterbox at I Laugh Alone. Like Jesse, I'm gonna say you should follow me on there. I got some good content. Uh, occasionally, Fran likes a review of mine, and I then I think it's successful when <laughs> when she li- likes the dumb jokes I make on make on there. And this week, since it's not a normal episode, I'm finally gonna break my own rule and I'm gonna plug something, which is that I made a playlist on Spotify called My Lovers Rock which is just songs I want to dance to whenever people can dance again in crowded rooms. And I will tweet it out whenever this comes out, and maybe I'll ask Andy or Fran or Jesse for some input on that. I've already asked our co-host, who will not be named, for some input on on that, and he gave me a couple of good tracks. I can't wait to see what's on this playlist. This is, like, my favorite thing to do. Hmm. It's a, a lot of different stuff, I'll say. That's the only... Cool. Sure. Yeah, if I'm contributing, there's definitely going to be some different stuff on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, as often happens in our dialogue, I might ignore Andy on this one, but who knows? All right, you, you would be fair to do so. All right, great. Uh, okay, then. Oh wait, I give will... me a second. I forgot the plug that our theme song is by Tree Related. You can find them on, on on SoundCloud.com/slash/TreeRelated. He makes good stuff, and you should listen to it. Also, thanks to Abigail, aka Bring the Noise on Twitter, for making this Can I Kick It hoodie that I'm currently wearing because she's a nice person and it was my birthday recently, and I want to shout out her. Apart from that, we're good to end the episode. Great. Then I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.